The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a joy and a privilege it is to serve at CRC. And just thinking back over the last nine years, I, I rejoice in my heart in all that you have done, how you have been faithful to us. You never gave us what we deserved, but you always gave mercy and help and encouragement and, and love and joy all along the way. It really has been an incredible journey, and I'm so grateful, Father, for your love and your mercy. And I ask again this morning that you would touch me, a mere man, so that I can communicate life-changing truth. Your word is powerful, Lord, and and I pray and ask that you would cause it today to change our hearts, our lives, to make us fruitful, good, fruit-bearing Christians, that we would please you as a church, we'd please you individually. That is our hope and our dream. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you very much. It has been my privilege, absolutely, to um, be a part of the church staff. Not just, uh, it's not just like the staff is John or this is my church, but a really amazing group of leaders that we work together. And we're like friends, we work as a family, and yet we're able to tell each other the truth and uh, disagree. We do that frequently, but in love. And uh, everybody on that team genuinely wants to see God do something amazing in your life. And so it's it's just an amazing privilege. It's an honor that the Lord would um, single me out to be a part of that and to be a part of one of the leaders. Uh, I think back to When I first came to Bethany Open Bible Church, it was a church that needed discipline. And I I believe the Lord disciplined the church and me 
for a period of time. And then out of our hurt and pain, he gave birth to CRC, which is something that I love dearly. So thank you. We are in the Gospel of John, and as you just heard, we are in chapter 8. And this is such an amazing passage of Scripture. And I know I say that about that every week, always amazing, amazing. But the Gospel of John is one of the most incredible books you will ever read in your life. One reason for that is because it's not just a book. This is God's Word. These are the words of God. This is God speaking to us through the Gospel of John. And that makes it like no other book that exists on the face of the earth. The Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy about Scripture. He said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So right there in that simple passage, we see that the the scriptures, the gospel of John will teach us. It will rebuke us if we need it. It will correct us, and we definitely need that. It will train us how to be righteous. Now, if you remember... 1 Timothy 4.8, you remember that? We've been using that scripture the whole time along, all these weeks and months in the Gospel of John, that while bodily training is of some value, right? Godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness is of great value, right? That's the amazing thing about God's word. If you're a student, godliness equips you to be a better student. If you're in a relationship, then godliness makes that relationship something you cherish and love. If you're leading a team of people, godliness in your life makes that leadership wonderful. If you run for public office, Wouldn't it be wonderful to have somebody who is godly run for public office? I'm sure there are some godly people, you know, at the state level. But that's all I'll say about that. If you are raising children, God help my voice. If you're raising children, then godliness makes you a wonderful parent. If you're a friend to someone, then godliness will make that friendship joyful, something that your friends will cherish. If you're an employee, then godliness will work through you in such a way that your boss will cherish you as an employee. You'll be very valuable to him. If you allow God to work in, his, in your life in the area of your sex life, godliness there will be a blessing to you as well. In money... Godliness is going to be a great advantage in handling all of your money. Communication, family holidays, it goes on and on and on and on. Godliness applies to all area of life, all the areas of life. 
And it's the absolute wonderful difference that it makes in the Christian. So here's the sad truth of that. Every recent study about the church in America shows a church that is incredibly unhealthy. We have entire churches full of people who don't know what the Bible is all about. They don't know the Bible. They don't read the scriptures. They don't study the scriptures. They don't know. Well, if you don't know what God requires, how could you ever become godly? If you don't know what the expectations are, how can you ever walk in them? How can you become a righteous person if you don't know what it takes to become a righteous person? And so we have millions of Christians, at least in America, absolutely ignorant of the scriptures. And it's so, so, so dangerous because if you don't know the scriptures, then you have to either take my word for it or suffer the consequences. How do you know that I'm not telling you something that isn't right? The only way you'll know is if you yourself are in the word of God, reading and studying. And so the gospel of John, I believe, will produce all of those things in us if we apply our lives to it. The text today, I believe, gives us a key to this. A very important, important principle. The key to godliness and righteousness. And so that's my hope, that as we look at this text, that you will be empowered to become a godly Christian. And it begins with verse 30. Although we read verse 30 last week, verse 30 ties into the text today, so I'm including it. And it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So he is Jesus. He's been doing all this preaching and miracles and all this amazing stuff. Stood up courageously in the temple, proclaimed the gospel truth. And it says that a bunch of them said, I believe. Jesus, you are the Messiah. I want to be your disciple. And so then in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, remember, these are believers now, they believe in Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Is that really how he should start out? I mean, are you sure that's the right way to say it? All of these people now have become believers. They're following. And the very first thing he says to them is, I question how sincere you are. If, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. Try and imagine that you just met somebody for the very first time and you decide to go out to dinner together. You haven't known this person very long at all, maybe a few days or an hour or so, and you sit down, you're having a wonderful meal, and that person says to you, I really like you. I want to be your friend. I want to 
be in your camp. I want to be around you. I believe in you. And then you respond back to that. Well, if you remain faithful in that, then I guess we can be friends. Or if you remain faithful, if you don't shrink back or run away, then maybe we can have a relationship. That's going to be a very short relationship. And indeed it was for Jesus. (laughs) These people make the big decision to follow Christ and become a disciple. And he questions them right from the beginning. Is Jesus inferring by this statement that some of these brand new believers were going to become unfaithful and reject him later at another time? Is that what he's saying? Is that he's inferring that they're going to walk away from their belief at some point? And the answer is yes, absolutely. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I know some of you are not genuine. and You will abandon this later on. This wasn't the first time that Jesus said this to somebody, one of his disciples, followers. He said this before, and it isn't the last time that he said it. He said it all the time. All the time, Jesus is making this qualifier about real disciples or false or fake If you jump ahead to John chapter 13, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and they're celebrating Passover. You remember that famous story? Jesus gets up, he gets a towel, he washes all the feet of the disciples, all of them, all 12, including Judas. Now you just meditate on that for a little bit and that will blow your mind. Jesus got down on his hands and knees and washed Judas' feet. And then he got up and John says that he was troubled in spirit. And so he said to the guys, Hey guys, I say to you, one of you will betray me. There he goes again, bringing up this betrayal thing. It's interesting to me that nobody knew he was referring to Judas. Because their first response was to talk amongst themselves. Who is it? Who is it? Do you know who it is? Is it me? (laughs) They had absolutely no clue it was Judas. Isn't that weird? They've been walking with him in ministry for the last three years. All the countless meetings and all the prayer and the miracles and and traveling together and not a single hint that this guy was a betrayer? Not a clue? Not not any kind of, oh, man. I bet that's Judas he's talking about. Not even one. Nobody knew. They had no clue. Couldn't identify Judas out of the lineup. Clueless. You know what scares me about that? Is that if that can happen to Jesus, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. 
that you could be betrayed by somebody that you trusted. Somebody that you thought was a Christian. And then they turn their back on Christianity and you all in one action. If it happened to Jesus, it's an absolute certainty that there is somebody in this church that is a Judas. And maybe more than one. Now, don't go freaking out. (laughs) Oh, is it me? Is it him? Oh, I know who he's talking about. Don't you dare come up to me after this and say, "Uh, can you tell me who it is? I don't know who it is. I don't know who they are. But if it happened to Jesus, he was perfect. It's going to happen to to me, to me, to you, it's going to happen to us. If you've ever been hurt by the church, you've ever had a, an experience with the church that was painful and difficulty, then this scares you like crazy. Oh, dear God, it is so painful to be rejected and betrayed. I don't know if I can go through that again. There are Judases in the church. (laughs) Now, I've already talked to you about false Christians and false leaders. We did all of that in chapter 6, if you remember, right? We went through that. Jesus fed the multitude. They were full. He'd given them hundreds of miracles. This most incredible teaching they'd ever heard before, they marveled. And they said, no rabbi ever talks like this guy. This is... This is amazing, mind-blowing stuff. And so then when Jesus makes one qualifier and he says, all right, now it's going to cost you something to be my disciple. You need to lay down your life. They said, ah, forget it. (laughs) No. And everybody left. All his disciples that he gave at that point, they all split except 12. And he says to those 12, he says, are you also going to defect? They said no. So this is what we know so far. Jesus had people say to him, I believe in you. I want to become a Christian. And ultimately they walked away later. Second thing we also know is that we also have among us People like that who say, I believe in you, Jesus, but will walk away someday. Maybe you don't know this, but this has happened consistently at CRC. Consistently. People join our church. They get to be known. They worship with us there and there, you know, raising their hands after, not right at first, you know, you kind of work up to it, you know. They get involved in some of the ministries. They throw some money into the bucket. They sign the connection card. They're with us. They're one of us. And we love them. And we rejoice together. And we we cry together. We pray together. We serve together. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're out the door. They're gone. The second 
they have any hint of accountability, I'm gone. And so over the years, I've tried to figure this out because it's really painful for me. It's very painful to invest into people, give your heart, and then have them just drop it like that. I mean, years of relationship just thrown aside after one problem. They would behoove me to figure out this in advance so that I could protect myself, right? Not have to go through this anymore. I know so many pastors that are bitter. They're cynical. They can't trust anyone anymore because they've been burned so many times, person after person, year after year, that they just can't anymore. I mean, who can live with that kind of rejection? Who would want to? (laughs) Fools. But I, I think this text gives us a clue. It tells us why this happens. Why is it that people who worship with us leave, at, as it seems, at the drop of a hat? At their first minor offense, somebody doesn't say hello to them. Or somebody says something that hurts their feelings. Or... They get the sense that they're just not important anymore. That they were really important and now they're not important and they don't like that. Or that I'm just not getting fed anymore. I I don't get anything out of John's sermons anymore. It's just not feeding me. Or that feeling that I have some need in my life And the church isn't able to meet that need. So I need to go and find one that can. And so thinking about this, why do these minor things set people off? And I think I've figured it out. You ready? You don't look ready. (laughs) Give me a thousand bucks and I'll tell you. I think this is the issue. They're simply not invested. They're not invested. They believe they have nothing to lose by leaving. There's a million churches out there. I'll just leave this one and go get another one. Just like that. Easy. And I'm certain I'll find one that's better. I'm convinced of it. So I have nothing to lose. Drop this. Move on. Now, there are people who don't do that, and it's shocking that they have all the same characteristics. Same things. Whole group of people, they don't leave at the drop of a hat, and yet they are offended by somebody, or they are feeling like they're not important or they are feeling like they're not getting anything out of it anymore, or they're feeling that some need isn't met in their life, but they don't jump off to the next church because they are fully invested in ways the other group of people are not. 
And I think there's three differences. They're faithful to the word of God. You see, when, you, when you're always going to the word and when you're getting your, your, your life's joy and fed from the word of God, then you are not here on Sunday relying on me or on anyone else for that matter. You know how to feed yourself. So you really come here to give more than you do to receive, which is more fun anyway. And there are also people who give sacrificially. That other group, sometimes they give nothing or a little bit. But this group, they really give sacrificially and they never stop serving. They're always serving in some capacity. I think these are the differences between the two groups. Being a part of our church has cost them something. And when you have a huge investment in something, you don't easily leave it. You don't walk away from a massive investment. You stay, you work it out. Now, why am I saying all this about Canyon Ridge? I mean, we're in the book of John, right? Why am I saying this? Because I think that those who walked out on Jesus shared the exact same characteristics. No different. The picture is nearly identical. Listen to this. People were willing to leave Jesus at the drop of a hat for a minor offense. He said something like, take up your cross and follow me. For feeling like they're not important. You need to surrender your whole will to me. Let me be in charge of your life. I am the master. You're the slave feeling like they're not being fed. Jesus says, you must devote yourself to the word. Jesus will never spoon feed anyone. Or feeling that some need isn't met. As Jesus says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Why do these minor things set people off because they're not invested in Jesus. They've made no investment in him. They, they haven't given their full, total devotion. They are not faithful to the word of God. They do not give sacrificially, and they never serve. And so they drop Jesus easily. They haven't paid anything for it. It hasn't cost them anything. Now, I am, listen, I am not advocating is salvation by works, okay? There's no way to earn your salvation by faith alone, right? But remember, what did James say to us the last couple of weeks? James said that your faith without works is dead, useless, worthless, not real. Fake. You're fooling yourself. Being faithful to Christ will cost you something. It'll cost you your life. You will make a huge investment to follow Jesus. And I think for some, they get into this category and it's just simply too much. And so they walk away. They say, no, I want to go where... 
my ears can be tickled. Where I can hear that my best days are in front of me. What if your best days are full of suffering? And people who have given a lot have a lot to lose, and so they remain faithful. They stick it out, they persevere with Christ. Look at verse 31 again. If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That tells us what a real disciple looks like. They abide in the word. What does it mean to abide in the word? What does that look like practically? 20-minute mornings. 20-minute mornings, that's exactly what that is. That is abiding in the word. Do you realize that? Every time you get up in the morning, you open that little booklet, you read those passages, you pray through it, you are abiding in the vine. You are connected to the vine and you will begin to grow. You'll receive life from the Holy Spirit. Prayer and meditation every day, every morning, that brings life. That will be a sign of true discipleship. Jesus' disciples loved the word. You know, that's my prayer. That's my hope is that you would love the word of God. That you would see it as life, as critical to your life. Like a map, directions, hope. Notice verse 32. It's so striking. The word will teach you the truth. And knowing the truth will set you free. Now, they balked at that whole freedom statement, right? They threw that right back at Jesus. And so I think this can apply to both salvation and consecration. By faith in Christ, we are free from our sin. In other words, Christ has freed us from all of our sin. You go to Jesus. He forgives you. You're free but you're not free, are you? You still sin every day. I was like, wait a minute, am I free or am I not free? Well, it's both. Because in Christ then, as we become more consecrated to him, we overcome sin. Do you know how you overcome temptation? Get in the word. Abide in the word. There is power there to overcome every sin. As you abide in him. Slowly, day after day, month after month, you become more, more righteous, more godly. It transforms you. Genuine, genuine faith. Listen, genuine faith manifests itself in a changed life. We should appear very different from the people in the world because mainly we should be full of joy. While they're in misery, we're in joy. And our salvation becomes attractive to them. Abiding in the word of God leads to knowledge about God and what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So then your knowledge leads you into action and your action becomes faith 
And that faith leads you into sacrificial service. Listen to these statements. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15, 10. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 3. You cannot accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then deny him as Lord later on. (laughs) There is no such thing as an almost Christian. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, he's a Christian, but he just hasn't surrendered to God yet. Huh? Oh, he's a Christian. He just hasn't got into lordship yet. It sounds merciful, but it's just not biblical. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it tells us to go to the part savior. Jesus saved my leg. He's working on the rest. It's all, right? If he's Savior, he's also Lord. We just don't want to say the truth. You're not there yet. You're not a disciple yet. In verse 37, Jesus ties this whole thing together. He says, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Those who reject Christ, they're not rejecting his love. They're not rejecting his mercy and his grace. They're rejecting his words that are too hard for them. They get confronted and they don't want to be confronted. Look at verse 36. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is no freedom from sin apart from Jesus. It's what makes Christianity so different from every other religion in the world We stand out. Nobody else is like this at all. They're all very, very different. Each person must come to Jesus personally. You receive forgiveness. He becomes your savior. It's a one-on-one exchange. Okay? Every single person must come to Jesus individually. And the reason why is because it's a relationship. It's a relationship that you develop with Christ. And so it's not, you don't go in bulk. You don't go to an organization. It's a personal faith. And there's no freedom apart from Jesus. It's so very personal that it goes down to the deepest parts of your soul and affects every area of your life. It is a relationship that lasts forever. If the sun sets you free, you are free from sin forever. 
And I think that's why Jesus made the correlation between slave and son. Did you catch that? The son stays forever. The slave does not. The son's inheritance is forever. can never be taken away. It belongs when the son has it. So what about those people then that do walk away? What about those people? And, I, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't mean to, to infer at all that everybody who leaves Canyon Ridge Church is walking away from Christ. Okay? I don't mean that at all. You're looking at me with that strange tone of voice. I don't mean that. Of course not. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. That does happen, but that isn't the case. Everybody is different. Everybody has their own circumstances for why they, why they go. But listen to this. 1 John 2, 19. John explains what happens, why this happens. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. They abandoned their faith because they never had it to begin with. They never came to that place of life-changing faith. They went where Judas never went. They became what Judas never became. They entrusted their souls to Christ in ways that Judas never could. They obeyed his word. All of it. They were all in, fully invested in Christ, obeying Jesus, giving, serving, sacrificing. He gave it all. Now, I'm out of time, so we can't continue on the rest of this, so we'll have to pick up with it next week. But let's just, just cap it off right here with, with some prayer. And I'd like us to go before the Lord and pray. And, and, and Paul said in 1 Corinthians that we should examine our own hearts. Examine your heart to see if you are in the faith, he says. And I think that would be really good right now If you're listening to me this morning and there's something that I said that you went, ouch, (laughs) I didn't like that. God is speaking to you. He's getting your attention. And I think it would be wonderful for you to respond to him in prayer. Respond to God in prayer this morning. And maybe reaffirm that love and commitment Maybe you made a commitment a long time ago and you've just drifted. That's what happens when you're not in the word. You drift. We're prone to drifting. That's the way we are. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and Lord, I pray that first you would forgive us. We are so unfaithful. As, as you remain faithful, we are unfaithful. And we deserve judgment. But Lord, you have loved us so much that you suffered and died so that we could be free from sin's grip. That death would not hold us anymore. We would live forever. 
I pray, Lord, that you would give every single person here today the opportunity to be all in, fully invested in you, Jesus, giving all of your life. I know, Lord, that right now there are some people here in this room that are really weighing this out. And they're wondering, what will happen if I do this? What will happen to my position at work if I become fully invested in Christ? What will happen to my company? What will happen in my relationships. And Lord, as these people battle this out between truth and lies, light and darkness, I pray, Lord, that you would give them faith and courage to choose you no matter what the cost. Because it is so worth it. It is so this in Jesus' name. Amen.